Welcome to episode number 89, What Will Your Story Be? I am Damon Soka. Today we are going to talk about stories, specifically your story. We as human beings, and perhaps spiritual beings, are driven to stories and storytelling. Something about the inner workings of the mind wants a narrative with time frame and characters. Our mind is a wonderful creation of consciousness and reality. Because our reality truly exists within our own mind, we actually can use our minds to create an alternate reality and then place ourselves into the narrative of that reality without having to actually experience it. These alternative realities can be so real to our emotional system, as discussed in the previous podcast, that a story can make us laugh, have us crying, or even become emotionally connected to a character that doesn't exist. We can feel love, empathy, anger, and sadness for something that's very fictional. I mean, how many of us have cried at a tearjerker movie or felt romantic with a love story or felt bold with a drama where the heroine or hero faces impossible odds? Have you ever wondered why you feel the way you do with these stories? It is because our minds place us into those stories and we become part of the narrative, part of the characters. We place ourselves emotionally in their shoes. Our minds actually engage in this type of activity regularly. Often, so regularly that we don't notice it. When we choose a sports team, we become one of the players on that team. So much so that we might even yell at the television as if our teammates we have chosen can hear us. We agonize with every loss and feel that exhilaration when the contest is won. Yet we haven't done anything to merit celebrating a win or agonizing over a loss. We did not participate in the contest. We sat in a chair and watched. The same is true for almost every type of affiliation we possess. We can have very strong, real connections to groups, objects, and things that have no life or really don't exist. Now, strangely enough, this need for a story, or perhaps the need to fill in the blanks, causes us to create stories about the people we see. We create stories and narratives around what people must be like. Let's, first of all, take a very easy example. I walk into church on Sunday and I find that a new family is sitting in my spot. Well, let's first of all admit that we have seating arrangements in the church, which is again another strange thing to re- if you really think about it. Now, I notice that this family has the usual arrangement of a father and a mother and several children. Okay, from what little I just told you, what did you create in your mind? I'm going to bet you created a building in your mind. You had the mother, father, and children dressed in Sunday clothing. You probably had them sitting in your seat in church. You probably assumed that they were new to the ward. You probably also assumed them to be members, and you probably assumed them to be members in good standing. You also likely created faces, shapes for the bodies. You probably assumed some relative ages of the children. Your creations likely already have a hair color, an age, basic age. You have assumed what clothing they're wearing. You have also likely made some assumption about their membership in the church and their knowledge of the doctrine of the church. In other words, because I said a family was sitting in my spot, you filled in the blanks, even without much information about them. Now, what is interesting about this example is that my family is going to be very different from the family creation you create, because I create the image of this family based on my experience, and you based your family upon your experience. Now, let's take our story just a little bit further. You are in church, and you do see this new family. Unless there are some obvious signs of problems, we assume that they have little to no problems in their lives or marriage. 
We do not assume that something that someone or something is suffering greatly unless we see an outward sign of it, and then we are likely to interpret it incorrectly and also lessen the severity. We generally assume that most people are doing better than we are, have less problems, and do not face the obstacles that we do. Now, as we learn small pieces of information about them, our perception might change. If I said that the member in my seat perhaps had served as a bishop, how does that change your perception? What additional information do you add to the story? What if I said he served as a regional authority in the church? How does that change your story? Interestingly enough, the stories we invent and give to people will depend upon our own experience. It is not very unlikely that we would ever assign a characteristic, difficulty, trial, or experience that we had not experienced ourselves or would at least have sufficient knowledge to understand it, meaning that I have had, if I had never had mental Ill- experienced mental illness, I would be very unlikely to see it in others as part of my invented story. So in some ways, in many ways in fact, the stories we invent and tell about others by filling in the blanks tend to tell us a great deal about ourselves. What you tend to ascribe to the mother or father in this original story will be things that you have experienced. I think the less we know about these families, the more perfect a character we tend to build in our minds. And perhaps in some ways, that is the person we would like to be. Now, most people think that this natural fill-in-the-blank creation in our minds is problematic. Yes, it can lead to all types of incorrect assumptions, stereotypes, and problems. And I really don't disagree with that argument. But I think that it serves a useful purpose if you really understand what your mind is doing. Now, in any case, that is not really my point today or my subject. My subject is not necessarily this fill-in-the-blank of other people, but the narrative that we keep about ourselves and project onto others. We have a story in our heads about ourselves, and it has been building and is informed by our life experience. Every person has this personal story. There are parts that only you know and would prefer that only you know. There are parts that are quite good and others that you would just prefer to forget, and still others your family won't let you forget. Most of us, when we write this story in our minds, tend to emphasize, strangely enough, the negative and minimize the positive. And that is very true or especially true for people who experience mental illness, although it is not exclusive to mental illness. Today, we are going to look at your story, how you perceive your story, and how we can change our stories for the better. Now, I'm going to look, I'm going to do this based on the gospel, as that's really what, it is really part of what concerns us the most. Now, I have a few questions for you to ask yourself. You should write down the answers to the first four questions and then write down a number for the subsequent 10. And then you will add the numbers together when you are finished. Now, here are the first four questions. If you were to be judged today, in what kingdom do you see yourself? No matter your answer to the question number one, what made you answer the way you did? What caused you to choose a kingdom? Number three, what positive celestial attributes do you see in yourself? Even if they aren't fully complete, what positive attributes do you see in yourself? Number four, what negative or reasonably incomplete celestial attributes do you see in yourself? Okay, now answer those four questions. And now we're going to move on to questions with a number. Now I want you to answer the following questions with a simple number based on one, having little to no part of this particular attribute, and 10, a more completed attribute. It may not be perfect, but a fairly complete attribute. Okay, here is the first question to put a number to. When you think about your trials, 
you are able to say that you have the faith not to be healed. Meaning that if the Lord desires it, you will continue in this trial without complaint. So one to 10, how do you feel you're doing that? Number two, when you think about others, you are kind. Number three, when you think about this world's material things, you are satisfied with what you have in the sense that you have your needs met. Number four, when you think about your work and other relationships, you seek to help others to succeed, even when you have not succeeded or before your own success. Number five, when someone wants to argue, you are quick to avoid contention and quick to create understanding. Number six, when you are in those moments, when your mind wanders, you tend to drift towards evil or good, in this case, evil being one and 10 on the good side. When you drift towards an evil or off-character thought, how quickly do you change the subject? One being not so quick and the 10 being very quickly. Okay, number seven. When someone is quick to judge you, do you respond with anger or attempt understanding? Number eight, when you need to turn the other cheek and forgive, do you do so with some complaining and grumbling, being dragged, as it were, to forgiveness? Or do you do your best to move forward and work to rectify your feelings with forgiveness? Okay, number nine, do you seek the best interest of those around you? even when they do not seek your best interest. In 10, do you empathize with those who suffer, no matter the reason why they suffer? Okay, now that you have your number and then your additive numbers and the answers to the first four questions, I want want you now to talk to someone who really knows you and ask them to write down a number for each of just the 10 questions, and then add up that entire number. Tell them you want them to be entirely honest, sparing nothing. Now, the purpose of them adding up this number is to allow the person to be completely honest with their answer on each individual question. Tell them they don't have to show you the individual numbers, you just want the overall number. Now, when you have all of this ready, then you should listen further, or you can listen further even without the information, however you decide. Now, I already know a couple things about your answers to the first four questions. One, you probably didn't answer celestial to the first question. And your answer to why is likely to be about how much you have yet to learn and how weak you still are. Two, your list of positive attributes is far less than the list of your incomplete and negative attributes. I also know that depending upon the effects of your illness and whether you are in an episode or a more managed state, your answers will differ. The more intense the episode, the less you will feel qualified for celestial life. Now, what I have said is probably not likely news to you. What I also know is that the added number you gave yourself is lower than the person who evaluated you, and this is even when you told them to be very honest. If you asked them about the kingdom they saw you in, it would likely be above the kingdom you selected, and they would have a longer list of positive attributes than negative ones. What is interesting for most people, the difference in the overall number, this overall number of the 10 questions, is significant between you and the person you chose. They're not going to just be necessarily one number apart. So the question is why? Why is your personal narrative so different or more negative than the others who really know you? Why is the story we tell ourselves far more negative than the one 
others perceive in us. Now, you might be able to say that maybe, well, they don't see my actions. They don't know if I'm complaining about what I'm doing or loving it, meaning that why I act is not always apparent to those on the outside. True, but those who know you pretty well probably have some good indications as to your real intentions. So that probably doesn't fully explain the difference in the numbers. Now, for those of us who suffer with depression and anxiety, certainly the illness has an effect. But in some cases, that still doesn't necessarily answer the question of the difference between our numbers. Now that we've done this, I'm going to ask you to rate yourself on those exact same 10 questions. And I'm going to give them to you again, but I'm going to ask you to rate yourself a little differently. I want you to answer the question based on your potential to learn the attributes and to work towards making them a part of who you are. Meaning that if I gave you 20 years to work on the attributes with help from the Lord, how would you rate your potential to incorporate each attribute into your life. One, the, the number one being very little, five being somewhat, yeah, somewhat could do that, and 10 being substantial. So one being very little, five being somewhat, 10 being substantial. Now, try not to look at your previous responses when you answer how you feel you would do. Now, here are the questions again. Again, answer based on potential with help from the Lord. When you think about your trials, you are able to say that you have the faith not to be healed, meaning that if the Lord desires it, you will continue in the trial without complaint. And number two, when you think about others, you are kind. Number three, when you think about this world's material things, you are satisfied with what you have. Number four, when you think about your work and other relationships, you seek to help others succeed, even before your own success. Number five, when someone wants to argue or be contentious, you are quick to avoid contention and to create understanding or simply walk away. Number six, when you are in those moments when your mind wanders and you tend to drift towards evil or good, when you do drift towards an evil off-character thought, how quickly do you change the subject? One being not so quick and ten being quickly. This is number seven. When someone is quick to judge you, do you respond with anger or attempt understanding? Again, remember, these are about potential. When you need to turn the other cheek and forgive, do you do so without complaining and grumbling, being dragged as it were? Or do you do your best to move forward and work to rectify your feelings with forgiveness? Number nine, do you seek out the best interest of those around you, even when sometimes they do not seek your best interest? And of course, ten, Do you empathize with those who suffer, no matter the reasons why they suffer? Okay, now that you have those numbers, add them up. Okay, for most people, what you're going to find is that their overall number increased and, again, more closely matches what your close personal friend or this person you chose thought of you. Now, isn't it interesting that your close friend perceives your potential while you are evaluating your past? So why is this so? Why do we perceive ourselves in such a negative light? I really believe that the difference lies in how you are perceiving yourself based on your past or based on your potential. When casting a judgment upon ourselves, almost every one of us reverts to our past and will likely include mistakes, sins, problems, weaknesses, and issues as part of who we are and expect that to be part of the judgment. We really fail to take into account the redemptive nature of the atonement in that those mistakes Sins, problems, weaknesses 
should no longer be part of our judgment if we have worked through the process of repentance and change. We as human beings have great difficulty separating ourselves from our actions and truly forgiving ourselves of actions we would probably never do today or in the future, meaning that we judge ourselves when we judge ourselves. We take into account far too much of our past when we look to judge our ability to attain celestial life. The story we continue to write about ourselves in this particular way is not true or accurate. Now, if I told you in the beginning to judge yourself not based on the past, but based on who you are now and your potential, your narrative might have looked significantly different. Okay, now that I have done or we have done all this judging, I'm going to say something critical to the process of writing your own story. We shouldn't judge ourselves. We should not judge ourselves without the influence of the Spirit and a full understanding of how the Lord views us. When we judge ourselves incorrectly or inaccurately, it often leads and almost always leads to detrimental results. I cannot think of a time in my life when having made and having made personal judgments about myself that were negative and defeating where I wanted to go out and work harder or do more to attain celestial life. In almost every case, when we judge ourselves harshly and inaccurately, it leads to a retreating of the motivational systems and a defeating of the desire to change. We, in essence, accept our fate or our judgment. This is especially true when we are under the influence of a mental illness. So in no case should we be casting judgment upon ourselves when depressed, anxious, or mania strikes. The emotional influence of the illness will always skew the judgment in negative ways. We should avoid judgment at all costs, at least in the sense of long-term judgment, such as the kingdom we inherit, without the Lord's narrative. And in most cases, we should avoid all types of short-term worldly judgments. Now, worldly judgments are those conclusions we come to about things that really do not have a spiritual impact on our life. There are things that the world uses to judge us, such as physical appearance, money, fame, social standing, cars, abilities, houses, even our views about morality, and really anything that does not stand up to a true eternal test. Now, given that I said we should not judge ourselves, it is important to note that we should not use comparison as a tool to judge our own our own status. We should not compare ourselves to any other human being or worldly standard. Yet in saying this, I fully understand that we are taught to judge very early in our mortal life, and that our own system of language, the English language and various other languages, automatically causes judgment to occur. If I say something is beautiful, I have compared it to some type of likely worldly standard of beauty. If I say something is lovely, skinny, short, fat, round, beautiful, I am comparing that person to a standard, and likely not a true standard, but a worldly one that arises from culture and worldly morality. The question does arise when we talk about judgment, then how do I know my standing in the gospel and in the sense of celestial life if I can't even compare and judge myself? What about judging between right and wrong, good and evil? Aren't we supposed to make judgments about right and wrong? Yes, the answer is yes. We need to make judgments. But those judgments need to be righteous judgments to be effective in our lives and to produce the correct results. The easiest answer is that any type of judgment should come through, come to us through the Spirit. However, it is important to remember that when we talk about this, any judgment, any judgment that is contrary to the doctrine of the church and the prophets does not come from the Spirit of the Lord. So there is a rational test of some of these spiritual feelings. Now, I fully realize when I say that 
we should use the spirit that hearing the spirit is very difficult during an episode due to our darkened emotional state. Thus my statement that we should not judge ourselves during an episode. Now, I have personally struggled for many years with avoiding inaccurate judgments regarding my personal salvation. I honestly believe that most of us do. I have tended to not show mercy to myself, have patience, allow negative experience. I allow negative experiences to dominate my review. I have tended to review my actions, past actions, rather than my nature and the changes that I that have taken place in my life. I tend to look at myself through a more darkened set of glasses and emotions, and just my past, rather than my potential with the Lord's mercy and grace. Now, in more recent years, I have attempted to move my judgment from my own perspective, personal perspectives, to the Lord's perspective, and to regularly ask where I stand in regards to His judgment and His view. Now, I can't say that I've been perfect, and at times I've still reverted back to the old ways, especially during episodes. But what I can say is that it has been enlightening to understand what the Lord perceives in his judgment of me versus my own personal judgment. So, if we are to write our story correctly and righteously, then we must move away from our own biased system of judgment and turn to the Lord for understanding based on his perspective. Our story should not be a narrative of our past wrongs and rights, but what we have become and can become through the power of mercy and grace in the atonement of Jesus Christ. It is not easy to make this shift in perspective, given that the world around us is consumed with personal worldly judgment, and that we will be frequently judged by others in various ways, worldly ways. It is difficult not to judge and to fill in the blanks, as it really is part of our mortal nature and the way our brain works. But for our salvation and for the salvation of our families, it is incredibly important that we judge a righteous judgment in all cases, including ourselves and our family. It starts, however, with our own personal journey of judging a righteous judgment of ourselves, our nature and our potential with Christ involved. If there's one thing that I could say today for you is that you should ask the Lord to show you where you stand with him over this next week or next month and wait for that answer. I believe that when you obtain that answer, it will be positive, uplifting, and you will find that you are closer to celestial life than you ever thought you were. And then you will be able to write your own story in a whole new and enlightening way. May the Lord bless you in your life, and may you always do your part so he can do his. Until next week.